All right, you guys ready to get into it? Uh, you can get your worship guide out, you can get your Bibles out, uh, your digital Bibles, your whatever works for you. We're going to be camping in the next couple of three weeks in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 is the primary text that we'll be looking from. And before I, before I start, I just got to say, um, I don't know what it is, I never... I, I never um, get old, it never gets old saying this, but I just, I just love my church, I love pastoring, I just feel like sometimes I need to tell you that, and uh, if, if, if this wasn't my job, I'd still go here, you know, if I went to heaven early, I'd still come back here on weekends, um, it's just how I feel, you know what I mean, so is it, is it, do you guys... You know, you feel loved, you feel loved, okay, I hope you feel loved. If you don't, you know, I just want to say I love my church, and, and it's a great place to be, and I feel like I get as much out of this as you guys do. So just so you know, a lot of people can't say that. Um, I have a lot of pastor friends, and, and, and some of them aren't quite as happy with their congregations or themselves, but I feel blessed, just want to say so. Amen. We're starting a new series today, all right, and this is entitled Really Rich. Everybody say Really Rich. And uh, we just want to be rich in what matters most is kind of the idea, and just to let the cat out of the bag right away, no like kind of tiptoeing around the subject, but we're going to be talking about money uh, over the next couple of weeks. And for some of you, uh, that would be a little weird to talk about money in church. For some of you, you might have left church because that's all they did was talk about church, and then you got invited to come to church here today, and now we're talking about money, and what I would say to you is, Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Um, today is your lucky day. No, seriously, today uh, I want you to just kind of chillax a little bit. It's going to be okay. Um, this is going to help you a lot. Um, th this, this environment it should be refreshing because we have a hassle-free guarantee. Uh, we do not uh, push the topic on people, but we do promote what God says from his word for all of us as a people. Can I have an amen? And so it's been a long time since I've talked about this uh, in church. But it is necessary to talk about it. And one of the reasons sometimes um, people don't talk about it is because they're afraid. I am not afraid to talk about this subject because I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And I'll say also because, uh, I couldn't say this at one time, but because I'm personally free in this particular subject. Like I got over just the approval issues uh, a long time ago, so by the grace of God. So I really, I, I, I just, the more you get around me, the more you'll realize that I just... I don't need your approval in this area. I want to help you, and that's probably the best uh, you know, thing for you, is to have somebody that's talking to you about something that's not trying to manipulate you or coerce you, that's not under pressure. One of the reasons that you feel pressure is because usually the leader's under pressure, and then he puts people under pressure. I don't feel like I'm under pressure. Uh, I don't need anything. The church doesn't need anything. I'm not saying you know, we can't do more for the kingdom of God, but we're fine. So I just want to say that at the outset. A lot of times we resist because of our perspectives on money, and we got to get God's perspective on money. I heard a story about a man, and he was, he was wanting to understand the nature of God. He wanted to understand, you know, things that relate to, to time and money and, and, and the universe and all these big subjects. And so he asked God, you know, uh, how, how, how long is a, is a billion years to you, God? And God said, it's, well, it's, like a, it's just like a second. It's like a blink of an eye. It's just like a second. So the guy's got a bright idea, and he thought, well, how, 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 long, how much is a billion dollars to you, God? And God said, well, it's like a penny to me. So then the guy got a bright idea. He said, can I have a penny? <laughs> and then God said, in a second. <laughs> okay, you getting that, right? 
So the subject needs to be approached from God's perspective. We're looking at it from our angle, seeing what we can get out of it, but God's trying to get something through us and to us. And so the series today, this is what's going to happen today. Today we're going to talk about what rich, what, what rich really is. What is rich really? You know, getting a healthy perspective. Next week we're going to talk about like the money trap. Um, the Bible refers to it as the deceitfulness of riches. All right? The, the money's not bad. It's neutral. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, the Bible says. And then in the third week, we're going to look at money through an eternal perspective. Like, we're going to put on some glasses, see like God sees, and see further. Like, we can't take our money with us, but we can send it on ahead. And so, and, we're, and actually in that particular service, I'm really excited. It's actually one of the favorite services in our church especially for people who are givers, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what you did last year in our missions giving. So we're going to have our mission partners. We have strategic partners. We don't just throw seed and just scatter stuff all over the place. We're very strategic. We go, we go deep, and, and we go long with people in relationship, and you're going to be able to hear testimonies from all our mission partners from all around the world, local, domestic, and international partners, and you're going to get to see what you did. It's one of our favorite things, and we'll give you an update, and then we're going to look ahead and see what we can do together as a church as we go forward. One of the reasons the subject becomes awkward, money, is because there's something inside of us that's somewhat competitive. It's somewhat competitive. You know, like, you know the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses. Anybody know the phrase? You know we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Like, somebody walks down the aisle at church we've never seen before, and you kind of like, you kind of like watch them all the way down. What are we doing? And some guy said, well, I'm checking out a pretty girl. No, what we're doing is we're sizing them up. We're like, you know, I wonder where she got that handbag. You know what I mean? And, and, and you know, I mean, how much did it cost for her to do her hair like that? You know, and we're, we're just, we're competitive. We're competitive. That, that goes way back. Like, we're conditioned that way. I remember when I was young, um, there's different things that we looked at to determine if somebody was rich. When I was young, I looked at people who were rich as driving Cadillacs. Like, I never saw a Ferrari till I was like 18 years old. I never saw a Rolls Royce till I was like in college, uh, you know, in person, in face to face. I saw it in magazines. But, but if you drove a Cadillac when I was a kid, you were rich. You know, those kind of wings and the leather seats and, and all that. My dad, I remember the first Cadillac he got, he got a cherry red Cadillac with a white leather top like this kind of tea roof thing. It was a Cadillac Seville, white leather seat. I mean, it was like, boom, chuck-a-luck. I mean, then he, later, he got a yellow one with a white, yellow, all yellow. It's like, we didn't sing the love boat, we sang the banana boat, you know what I mean? It was, <laughs> we laugh at it today, but back then, like, you just assumed you were rich. Rich could be not as big and broad as a car. It could be the clothes you wore, you know, like, I don't know. It's funny, like, guess jeans, like, in the sixth grade was like, woo, you know, Jordash, you know. I remember the commercials. I'm dating myself right now, you know, but, but Nike Cortez leather sneakers, you know what I mean? You were rich. And, and, and that's what people, we look through these different lenses to determine, you know, if we were wealthy or not. And then I remember getting older. I remember being about 18. And I, was, I just looked at these business people and I thought, rich is when you had a Mont Blanc pen, like right there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I still got one of those. I couldn't afford it, but I bought one. You know what I mean? And I remember one time traveling through the airport and, and, and there was this magazine cover and it was Time Magazine and it basically the front, the cover photo was a Rolls Royce, they'll show you this picture right now, with a cross as the hood ornament. Look at that. 
all right? Does God want you to be rich? And they were interviewing, you know, dozens and dozens of preachers to, to hear their answers to, does God want you to be rich? And don't answer that question, but just think about it. Does God want you to be rich? And some of you in your head are thinking, I hope so. <laughs> There's a passage of scripture that we're going to look at today where we're, we're going to see that there's a commandment for me to command you to be rich. The scripture commands me to command you to be rich. Think about that for a second. Uh, not only does God want you to be rich, he's commanding me to command you to be rich is what this word is going to say. In fact, in this passage, and we'll see this over the next couple of weeks, he's literally saying, basically, tell all the rich people there that are with you that, that you're talking to that they need to be rich. They need to be rich. And you might think, okay, well, that definitely excuses me, PD, because I ain't rich. That ain't good English, but it's good preaching. I ain't rich. You don't, you don't understand. I ain't rich. And I think, again, we're going to see this more and more, that you might be a little mixed up in how you look at the term rich. In fact, a fact is, and, and you can think about this, there's more that you could look up for yourself, but if you have an, if your annual household income, that means if you're single, your household income is just you. If, if, you're, if you're married and you both work, that's, you put those two things together. If your household annual income is $32,500 or more, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. Now, now some of you might hear that and go, uh-uh, no way. Not a chance. Am I top 1%? You know why? Because you're American. Because you're American. And, and that's why we think that. And let it sink in for just a little bit. But if you see some of the documentaries that are out there about the wealthy and the rich, and there's kind of like they're put in a bad light, the evil top 1%. That's actually most of the people in this room are in that tier. I'm in that room, okay? And what we have is this mentality, you know, that that's, needs to be flipped upside down. We have what are called first world problems, not third world problems. We have first world problems. How many of you use Twitter? Raise your hand if you use Twitter. All right, let me start over. How many have heard of Twitter? <laughs> Praise God. Wow. You guys need to get with it. All right. For those of you who use Twitter, I'm going to give you a homework assignment, okay? You would just, just write this down. Hashtag first world problems, okay? First world problems. You will see... Some money that'll make you laugh, and so, and some, excuse me, some information that'll make you laugh, and some information that'll make you cry. Because what we think are problems today <laughs> ain't problems, they're rich people problems. Let me give you some examples of rich people problems, first world problems. For us in this room, probably, rich people problems include if you can't decide what you're gonna wear before you go to church, that's a rich people problem. Like, there are other parts of the, most of the world can't relate to the fact that we have closets filled with clothes, some of which we call walk-in closets. <laughs> you know, rows. I look at my shoes, which my son has inherited this disease. It's bad. It's really bad. Like, there's so many shoes. It's crazy. If that's a problem for you, you have a first world problem. If you get upset when you lose cell phone coverage, that is a first world problem. Wi-Fi's off. Ah! You know what I'm saying? When our family 
goes on vacation, if there's no Wi-Fi, do you know what we call that in our house? Camping. <laughs> Camping, that's what we call that. I heard about a young child, and he was potty training. He was about two and a half years old. It was kind of late on the, on the process, and the father was getting frustrated, and they were driving on vacation from one place to the other. And while they were on vacation, this two-and-a-half-year-old already knew how to use it, had an iPad, and knew how to use the iPad and connect to the Internet, Okay. Two and a half years old. Is everybody tracking with me? So they're traveling, and the two and a half year old, suddenly service goes off. They're in a remote area or something like that. Two and a half year old, hissy fit, going quick. Dad, dad, there's no internet. Probably like one of their eighth word, words they learned was internet. You know what I'm saying? No internet. And the father's like, calm down, son, calm down. No, and he's going crazy. Finally, the father turns around and says, when you learn to poo-poo in the potty, I'll worry about the internet. Are you guys seeing what's going on here? Rich people problems? Can't even poop, whatever. All right, so we got issues. If you, if you don't have enough storage in your garage, you have a first world problem. I remember coming back from the Dominican Republic with my family one time, and we were dropping my parents off at their house, and, and we pulled into a garage, one of two, for the car. And I remember thinking, most of the people that I was with didn't even have something to cover themselves, let alone their cars. We have a first world problem. If you have one car, you are in the top 4% of the richest and wealthiest people in the world, globally speaking. Just thinking about other things, like there are many mission organizations, their primary function is to provide fresh water to people wells, digging of wells and things like that to get fresh water to people. There are millions and millions of people every day that have to walk one, two, sometimes three miles to get fresh water for the day, for the day, and bring it back to where they are. We can go to multiple outlets, turn on a fire, temperature-controlled water. They, their minds would be blown at how wealthy we are to be able to do something like that. Not only that, think about this. Many people in this room probably have machines that are on timers where they come up out of the ground at particular times and spread this liquid gold all over their lawn so they can be green for just a little while because it will eventually be brown. They can't, most people cannot fathom that kind of wealth. The point I'm trying to make is, it's all about perspective, isn't it? It's not an amount, it's a perspective issue. So remember, as I go forward, most of you in this room are extravagantly rich. You are so blessed. And I tell you all this so, so you don't misinterpret me. This is your big idea. You don't need to feel guilty, but grateful. You don't need to feel guilty, but you need to feel grateful. We actually have a grateful service coming up next Sunday night. Our SNL service is being hijacked. We're calling it grateful. It's a service about expressing gratitude. If you have a testimony, you have something God's done in your life, specifically your spiritual life, your journey in faith, this environment, maybe through church, would you please talk to somebody at Guest Central about participating and sharing your testimonies? If you want to come and hear some amazing stories, next Sunday night is our grateful service. Why should we be grateful? Because whether you know it or not, you are extremely, extremely blessed. So Paul, he writes this letter to his son Timothy, a very young pastor in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus is a very affluent, wealthy, 
much like what you would talk about in Metro West. Very wealthy. It's a port city. They, they have a lot of exchange taking place. And he commands, Paul commands uh, Timothy to tell the people, command these people to be rich. They're rich and they're rich to be rich. The reason he's telling them that is because be, just because you're rich doesn't mean that you know it or that you're good at it. See, sometimes people are rich, they don't know it, and sometimes people are rich, they know it, but they're not good at being rich. Is everybody with me? I'm going to unpack this as we go forward, okay? So the whole goal of this passage is so that you know you're rich and you know how to be rich. Because I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase before. Some of you in the first service knew this. But you, you can never be too rich or too thin. Has anybody ever heard that phrase? You can never be too rich or too thin. There was a Duchess of Windsor who came up with this phrase years ago. And, and, uh, and I was thinking about this. And I was doing a little research on the, the term, you know, I can never be too thin. And it made me think of a disease anorexia. And, and I started doing a little homework on it because I immediately had this perspective that actually when I looked into it, I was incorrect. I, had, I, I, I lived with the notion that if you were anorexic, you went to a mirror, you looked at yourself, and you thought you were too fat. That's actually not the case. In fact, the, the psychology of it or what's going on in their brain is very different. They actually look in the mirror and think, I could be a little bit thinner. It's different. The perspective is different. In other words, they don't realize how thin they really are. They're actually lousy at being thin. They're not good at being thin. And that's how we are sometimes when it comes to money. We're not good at being rich. We don't know how blessed we really are already. And what, what causes some of this is culture. Turn to your neighbor say culture so I know you're paying attention. All right, culture's not always bad, but sometimes culture is very powerful, influential, specifically marketing. If you think about marketing, which has a high value in our culture today, you can, it can, be, you can use it for good or you can use it for bad, but a lot of times marketing is, its primary purpose, marketing, is to lead you to a place where you feel discontent. The goal of marketing is to create inside of you a sense of, it's to make you miserable in a way. Make you feel discontent. In fact, there's a scripture, it's not in your notes, but you can write it in here if you want. Proverbs 30, verse 8. It basically, Solomon was asking God two favors. One was just, you know, hey, before I die, help me not to tell a lie. And the second one was, don't give me too much, too much money. Don't make me too poor or too rich. Don't make me too poor or too rich. Because if I'm too rich, then I'll think I'm all set by myself. And if I'm too poor, I'll steal and I'll, and I'll defame the name of God. See, so there's the extremes God's trying to plumb line us and balance us out and make us see things through the right lens. Because if anybody here in this room has kids, you know this discontent thing that can start very early and stay with us until we're very old. Does anybody have like, ever had like a four-year-old in their life or experienced one before? Okay. A four-year-old, because of the marketing, realizes that the only way they're going to be happy is to have a happy meal. That's how you're happy. I gotta have a happy meal to be happy, right? That's the goal. And so what happens is we, we, we get to this place in our life where all of this is causing this laser focus on what we do not have versus what we do have. And it, and it crushes our ability to even enjoy the blessings that God has already given us. 
Is everybody tracking? Is everybody up for the snack? Is everybody paying attention right now? So it's possible to be too thin. It's possible to be too rich and not know it and not be good at and even worse, not enjoy what God has given us. So Paul writes Timothy, look in 1 Timothy 6, and he's telling these people need to be who, who are rich. He says, command those who are rich in the present world, that's you, whether you like it or not, you're in that. And he says this, first caution, do not be arrogant. Command those who are rich in this world, do not be arrogant. Second caution, or put their hope in wealth. Why? Because it's so uncertain. Whatever you build something on, you have to maintain it. People that build their happiness, their peace, their joy on wealth, they're not happy. They're miserable. You just need a better happy meal. You're going to need something else. You're going to need a bigger house. You're going to need more money. It doesn't go away. Then he says, but, whenever you see a but, you need to look a little bit closer. That but can get in your way sometimes, but it's important, okay? Here's what I'm supposed to tell you. He says, put their hope in God. Everybody say, put my hope in God. <laughs> Who richly provides us with everything for our, read it with me, enjoyment. Say it again, enjoyment. Did you see that last word? See, sometimes people think they know what the Bible has to say about money, and I would say, no, you don't. They think that, that if we go God's way on all this, if we dive in, then we're going to have to be more spiritual by taking a vow of poverty. And we're going to have to go on the mission field and live in a, mission, in a mud hut and not have anything. No, God has provided things for you so that you can enjoy them. It's okay. He's not trying to make you feel guilty. He just wants you to make, make you feel, he wants you to feel grateful. The goal of this passage is completely different than sometimes, and the Bible regarding the subject of what we can see. But a lot of times, the blessings he's given us can become burdens if we don't do it God's way. Okay? Food is a blessing from God. Can I get a witness? All right? I believe when we get to heaven, Mike's in the room now, but I believe there's going to be Chick-fil-A on every corner. I believe Krispy Kreme, the hotline is going to be open 24-7. I believe there's going to be no calorie ice cream. Why do I believe that? Because food is good. Mmm, somebody. Groans that cannot be uttered, it says in Romans 8. Mmm, good. All right. I'm praying right now. Mmm. Okay. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible talks about banquets. It talks about eating together. It talks about this great marriage supper of the Lamb. When Jesus was um, raised on the third day, he came to earth before he ascended to heaven. And while he was on earth, in his resurrected body, he, he ate. So I'm pretty confident there's going to be food. Food is a blessing. <laughs> Food's gonna be, it's going to be there. It's going to be good. Some stuff we haven't even tried yet. Raspberry Danish from Entenmann's. It's all there. Truckloads. Come on, somebody. Woo! I can feel the anointing. All right? But how many know that that blessing can become a burden that you can drag around with you like an extra person? It can create all kinds of problems and issues in your body. It can take you down, right? If we don't do that God's way, right? The appetites of the flesh can crush us and destroy us. How many know that sex is a blessing from God? All the men just popped up. What? Oh, hey. You taking notes, honey? You taking notes? <laughs> it is. Again, in the, in, in, inside the boundaries that God has presented, he, he created it. That's how good God is. It's a blessing, but it can be a burden. Money is the same thing. Money is the same thing. It can be an incredible blessing or it can be a burden. It can be a ball and chain. It can be something that we're just completely preoccupied with. It's, it's, God is not interested in your occupation. He's interested in your preoccupation. 
He's, not inter- he's interested in what's going on in your heart. And he knows there's a direct attachment between what you invest in and your, your heart are always connected. The number one competitor that he sees in your life is often the money and where it's going and what's, what's happening with it. But he wants you to have enjoyment. So then he goes on in the next verse and he says, command them, all right? He says, command them to do good, to be rich in what? Good deeds and to be what? Generous and to be what? Willing to share. So he said, so this translates in the Greek literally, just so you know in the Greeks, the original language of the New Testament. And if you go look up this sentence, either in a thought-for-thought translation or word-for-word for all you theological geeks, basically what it's saying is, it's saying you need to be generous in time and money. Time and money. It's not a either or, it's a both and, Paul is saying. Sometimes we determine in arrogance, I'm just going to give my time and that's enough. Sometimes in arrogance, I'm just going to give my money and not my time because that's easy for me to do. This is easy for me to do. But God's saying it's not an either or, it's a both and. And he's going to give you the why in just a second. So here's what he says. In, In other words, verse 19 doesn't work, excuse me, verse 17, 18 doesn't work if you don't get the why which he gives you in verse 19. Are you tracking with me? This is what he says in verse 19. He says, in this way. Everybody say, in this way. In In other words, if you do it like I told you, don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. Then then become rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. Here's what's going to happen. If you do it in this manner, you will lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. And then you'll be able to take hold of life that is truly life. Let me explain this word life to you because I don't know that it really connects with some people, okay? Life in the Greek is this, this cool word named, it's called zoe. Zoe, s- similar to life, all right? Zoe is used in different places in the Bible. A verse that some of you might know is John 10, 10. The first part of the verse says, the thief, the enemy, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's, that's the thief's job description. Jesus' job description. I have come, Jesus speaking, that they might have life. And then he says, to the full, abundant. It means a bubbling over, above and beyond. Like, you are just, it's like this, this song that Hillsong just put out. This is living now. You know, it's a whole another level of living. So God wants you to have life, zoe, true life, truly living life. Zoe means peace. It means joy. It means contentment. It means freedom. These are all the things that people want in this life that many don't have. But when you don't do it God's way, you may have money in the bank, but you don't have peace in your heart. When you don't do it God's way, you may have temporary happiness, but you don't have lasting joy. When you don't do it God's way, you might have a lot, but you never feel like you have enough. When you don't do it God's way, you might have built something, but but what you built has you, even though you feel like you have it. See, God is trying to give you zoe, life. In order for you to have that, do not be angry. Do not put your trust in wealth. Put your hope in God. Make sure that you're generous, that you're, that you're good to other people, that you're willing to share, that you're, good at, you're doing good deeds to people. And so he gives us these warnings, and I want you to write these two warnings down. Are you ready? Here's the first warning. Riches can cause escalating arrogance escalating arrogance. Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant. Have you ever, uh, ladies, put on a new dress? You're shopping, you're at the store, you put on a new dress and you look yourself in the mirror and you're like, I am bringing it righteous right now. (laughs) 
right? Or guys, you know what it's like, you put on, you put on some bad to the bone suit, you put that thing on, you look in the mirror, and you look at yourself, and you're convinced you're smarter than you were five minutes ago. <laughs> no, you're as dumb as you were five minutes before. But you have escalating arrogance, right? You're convinced of that. Guys, you get in a brand new car. It might not even be your car. And you're like, ladies, come on, check it out. Summer, summertime. You know, Kia Sportage. You know what I mean? Woo! That's funny. I don't care what you think. That's funny. <laughs> it, it's escalating arrogance. We all do that. We all kind of assess things. But riches give you this inflated, escalated, sometimes complicated view of, of money and a perspective on money. Have you ever met someone who was richer than you and you assumed they were going to be a lot smarter? And then you talk to them and you're like, what? Really? How did they do it? That's kind of what we're thinking. Gallup did a poll and they, and they assessed people in America to determine, you know, what is really rich? You know, how much is enough? And, and they assessed people that made $25,000 a year and said, how much would be enough money for you to feel rich? Interesting, I can remember being in college thinking about the possibility of making close to $25,000. I thought it was like, oh, that would be so much money. Right? How's that, how's that working now, Derek? <laughs> so they did 25, and, and the answer in all the surveys was 50 would be a lot of money. Then they surveyed people who made 50, and they said 100. They surveyed 100, listen, it goes up. They said 250. They surveyed people who made 250, and they said $500,000 or more. They surveyed people who made a million, they said at least 2 million. 2 million, they said 5. The point is, at the end of the survey, it was never about an amount. It was always about a perspective. It's a perspective. It's never a money issue. It's a perspective issue. And because we have this escalating arrogance about us, it changes us. I remember years ago, uh, there was this shoe that came out, and, and, and I, used to, uh, I used to be kind of a sprinter runner. wasn't great, but I was pretty good. Um, I'll take any of you on in this room. But anyway, um, but I can remember this particular shoe that came out, and it was called Zips. And stride right, put the shoe, it had wheels on it, you know? And the commercial, I remember it affecting me, you know? The, the, sh- the commercial came out and you put these things on and they could run faster and they sounded like the $6 million man. I just dated myself. Nobody knows the $6 million man in this room. <laughs> Bionic woman. Anyway, all right. Modern day Robocop. Okay, help me out. But anyway, <laughs> and they're running and they're jumping over things and they're so fast. The point is, zips made you fast. And I'm like, I'm going to get me some zips because there was a person, I say person in the neighborhood, that I couldn't beat in a race. And the reason I say person is because it was a girl. And so um, <laughs> I challenged this person to a race. And I remember saying, I'll, I'll race you on Friday, and my shoes, zips were supposed to come on Thursday, and so I challenged her to a race, and I show up with my zips, and when I got to the starting line, like, I had escalating arrogance, like, bring it on, here we go, at the starting line, but not so much at the finish line. It didn't make me any faster. That's what escalating arrogance does. We're just as slow as we were before. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a perspective, not necessarily something that we have. Are you tracking with me out there? But what happens is when we start talking about this, and I'm using humor somewhat strategically because if I didn't, some of you would make a decision just as soon as I said money. Some of you just said, I'll see you on Christmas. I'll see you at Easter. 
You know what I mean? There's something that checks out. We put up the Heisman. I'm done. I'm out on this whole particular thing. And Paul is cautioning us. See, if I said I'm going to talk about relationships, or I'm going to talk about the end times, or I'm going to talk about ISIS or something like that and what the church should respond, we'd be like, oh, I want to be there for that. Talk about money. Mm. Uh, see you see at Christmas Eve. But yet the Bible has so much to say about this subject. And you know what that is that makes us resistant to that? That's what Paul's talking about. It's arrogance. It's arrogance. You and I have a certain amount of arrogance. We're saying, God, I don't need that. I'm good with that. And I would just say, as your pastor, to to the extent that I am, be careful with that. Be very careful with that. And I'm supposed to tell you, don't be arrogant because your riches will change you. And you and I can't see it by ourselves. We need God's word. Here's the second point. Riches can cause dislocated trust. Dislocated trust. Now, I want to give you a two-question test. It's a very sobering test. I took it myself. It was difficult to take this test. Here's the question. First question is, how much time did you spend in prayer this week, this past week, okay? Just, just this is not to make you feel guilty. It's for, for perspective. Here's my second question. If, if you had wages lost or money lost or, or you, you, might, you are on the verge of losing your job, how much prayer would you, how much time in prayer would you have spent this last week? I was looking at that. Would your prayer life increase if it affected your money and your job? And I had to say, oh yeah, oh yeah, it would. Because prayer is an act of humility. We go to pray to God to, to, to get insight, to get wisdom, to get direction, and I would say also provision, to see him as our source. Put your hope in God, not in your wealth. But what happens is when we go through tough times sometimes, especially in things that are related to our money, our prayer life skyrockets. But when it's a smaller problem, but it's a real problem, then our, then our prayer life just goes way down here. Wait on here. I talked to somebody about a real problem. It just wasn't a money problem. And I said, can I pray for you? And they said, they said to me, has it come to that? <laughs> and I was like, what? What? I, I, am I missing something? Because, see, God knows there's no greater competition on this earth than you and money. See, God doesn't say in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God or the devil. He he doesn't make it between you and the devil. He says you cannot serve God and money and money because he knows that's the thing that's competing for your heart, which is the number one thing that he's after is your heart. Now, we're going to do a little group exercise. Right in front of you, you have one of these, okay? Pull it out. It should be right in front of you. I hope it is. If it's not, sorry. Now, gentlemen, as you pull this out, I know you're big and buff and tough and on steroids. Please don't break these, okay? This is what I want you to do. Group exercise. This is called a Chinese finger trap. It's paper, okay? Everybody tracking? Yes? Okay. Originally, this was a torture device the Chinese created. It was made of metal. You would stick your fingers in it, and you would never get them out. What I would ask you to do is take probably your biggest finger, your biggest digit. I'm going to take my thumb. I recommend that. You put your thumbs in both sides. Let's go ahead and do it. Let's all do it. Group exercise. Everybody's in. And I want you to push in pretty far. Push in on both sides pretty far. Don't break them. I know you're strong and big and buff. Push it in real tight. All right? Then once you've done that, everybody together, I want you to slowly, slowly, slowly begin to pull out. Okay? Just hold it when you pull out. Okay? All right? Here's what's up. 
As soon as you pull out, it tightens on you, doesn't it? It won't release, will it? There's not freedom, is there? Look at me, look at me. Listen, this is what people do with this subject. People don't, don't pull away. When we get into this, I want you to remember this. Don't pull away. Freedom does not come, I got this. Freedom does not come from pulling away. Freedom does not come, that's arrogance. Be careful. You're putting yourself at the helm, at the seat of this decision. The more you pull away, the less freedom you have. Is it possible you're not experiencing freedom, peace, joy, contentment, because you keep trying to pull away from what God says about this? Or maybe because of misrepresentation or what other people have done? Listen, do not pull away. Real freedom does not come from pulling away. Real freedom comes from pushing in. Now I want you to kind of slowly begin to push in. All right, and one at a time. I, had, I got practice on this, so I got it the first time. And then I want you to pull it out. All right? Freedom comes from pushing in. I want you to lean in on this subject in the next couple of weeks. Don't decide, oh, he's talking about money next week, so I'm not going to be there. Yeah, it won't be as fun as the remix series. Uh, I need you to push in on this, guys. In fact, I want you to take this with you, and I want you to put this, maybe attach it to your keychain. I want you to put it on the dashboard of your car, hang it from your mirror. I want you to remember, when you think about this subject, God has a lot to say, and he might want to say something to you about this subject. Amen? Would you stand on your feet and let me pray for you? Every head bowed, every eye closed as the prayer team comes to the front. Please, very still. close your eyes and just listen to my voice for a second and then I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray also. I have found that one of the greatest discipleship steps in a person's life is when they surrender their heart in this area of finance. I, I'm just telling you one of the biggest, if you struggle and you hit a lid of growth in your life it's almost, and you keep coming back you never get out of the atmosphere spiritually. It's almost always related to money. Almost always. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're ready to kind of just open up your heart to God. Now, if you're in that place and you're ready to open up your heart, I'm just telling you, that's, that's, that's a malleable, teachable, receptive state to actually receive all that God has for you. Zoe, life. He wants to give you life. So the first thing you do is you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you make him not only Savior, he paid for my sins, the, the penalty for that, but you make him Lord, I surrender everything I have to God and watch what he does. He gives you life to the full, true, lasting joy, peace, contentment, freedom. It comes just like that. So you might be just boom, just hitting the lid, boom, hitting the lid. You're like a frog trying to jump out of a jar with a lid on it. God wants to take that lid off. And how you do that, you invite Jesus in your life and then you surrender everything to him. If you're here today, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You're listening online. You've never done that. I, I want to pray for you. You know that he's been talking to you. I've seen this happen so many times when we talk about money. People become more conditioned to receive the Lord than any other time. If that's you, would you raise your hand and just say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I don't want to leave today before I, before I do that. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else that says that's me? Good and high. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes, sir. Thank you. That's awesome. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am over there. Thank you so much. God bless you. Maybe you need also, you may, another group, you need to surrender your finances to God. You're just going to turn them over. to. It doesn't mean you're going to write big checks to this church. That's not what I'm trying to get anybody to do. 
you're just willing to surrender your life and your finances to God, and you know that there's a stronghold and you want it to be, you want it to be surrendered to God. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to just get free in that area. God bless you. God bless you for your boldness. That's awesome. And your courage. God bless you. Would you pray this prayer with me? Both groups, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, right now, I give my heart to you. I surrender. Not only my heart, I surrender my plans, my thinking, and even my resources to the management of God himself. I'm your, I'm your manager. You own everything, and I turn it over to you. Now teach me and instruct me on how to live as a true Christ follower in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the room. That's awesome.